Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. With that time, Jersey. No matter how long you think you're preparing for draft season, at least for myself, I don't think I've ever been fully ready by the time it arrived. We've we've been going through this stage the last couple of weeks where, you know, it's like pre-Halloween, but the Christmas decorations are already out at all the stores. And you're like, are we sure we're ready to get to Christmas just yet? Now maybe we have just turned the corner around Thanksgiving and everybody is looking ahead to Christmas, or in this case, I guess, Draftsmas. But I really do think, fellas, we have approached draft season in part because the Chiefs themselves just have basically told us free agency is over, maybe a, a couple of moves short of, of what we were previously expecting. So we can talk about that combination of all the things from Nate Taylor's experience up at the owners' meetings uh, for the NFL, including a conversation with Clark Hunt that made for a very interesting story in The Athletic. We also have Seth Kaiser beginning his Know Your Draft Crush series in the Chief in the North newsletter, starting off with the wide receiver position that we are all so desperately thirsty for. So, guys, is that a fair estimation, Nate? And thank God you're back. We don't need to get into all the reasons why, but man... um, this this show was not built for two, I'll tell you that. And uh, to have all three of us together again, maybe feels like the, the right way to, to kick <laughs> off draft season in earnest. No, no, I I thoroughly enjoy the the rare times where I get to to hear my friends just uh, have fun and talk through some of the uh, some of the issues with the receiving <laughs> receiver situation, which which was fascinating because. Um, to take us a little bit inside the podcast, um, the owner's meetings is both relaxed and it feels like in some ways it's rushed because um, billionaires don't want to work that hard, guys. Like, that's just, <laughs> it's just the reality. Like, some things are discussed on Sunday. The league usually puts out that, hey, it's from Sunday to Wednesday, y'all. And we hope to have everything voted by Wednesday morning. And in the three years that I have physically been in the owners' meetings to report on the business of football, the billionaires have always voted on things by Monday and Tuesday afternoon. So that Wednesday is, we are not coming back here. <laughs> like, <laughs> we are either in Florida or in Arizona, and Wednesday is just... Uh, a, a day for us to enjoy how much billions of dollars we have. <laughs> uh, so on Monday, um, it became quite positive and it was somewhat optimistic. Uh, that I did speak to Clark that Monday morning. Um, it was very interesting to me that they go from one building to another building, which means the reporters can sort of mingle and just see 
who's coming, who's going. Uh, and basically, of course, it's, you know, 32, but really 31 because the Packers uh, don't have a principal owner necessarily. Uh, we don't, if, if you know, you know, if you don't, we don't need to get in too deep of it, but basically, you know, uh, public service team. Uh, but of the 31 other uh, teams were represented by their ownership groups or people like Clark Hunt. It was like, so you're telling me they, the meeting ended. And all right, I see that guy. I see that guy. Ooh, that guy owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you go, oh, there's the ownership group for the Chicago Bears. And oh, look at Morrow. Look at the Morrow family and the Roonies. The Roonies. But there's a hierarchy to this, kids. Clark Hunt was one of the last people to leave one room and go to another. With Jerry Jones. With Robert Kraft. With, you know, the guy who happens to have built a spaceship in Los Angeles. (laughs) say it is is like clark Hunt's like a top eight owner and he gets invited to the meetings after the meetings that's uh, that I, i'm sorry to break in here no go that, ahead that in and of itself is a bit of a scoop just him being in the meetings after the meetings with those guys mm-hmm. like you said because there is there's a hierarchy to the owners of the in the nfl there's the guys who, you know, when when they get in trouble, they have to sell their team. Then there's guys who, when they get in trouble, it becomes a meme. And people laugh and joke and they say, well, Robert Kraft's going to Robert Kraft. Oh, I'm sorry. I said his name out loud. <laughs> and that's just interesting to see Hunt. Because he's, he's a lot younger than a lot of the owners that you picture in that group. You know what I mean? Yes. He, yes. Yes. Interesting. Um, but, you know, obviously, we've talked about this before. He's been head of the finance committee, head of the international committee. Um, he He's known the business, you could really say, his entire life from about teenage upward. Uh, because Lamar Hunt used to bring him to the owners' meetings. Um, one could say maybe in preparation for the role that he has. Um, obviously, the team uh, has been his for over a decade now. But, um, yeah, it, it's fascinating that um, in talking to Clark up for almost 20 minutes on Monday night, again, after they kind of voted on stuff. And I know Albert Breers put out that, hey, the Chiefs were not opposed to the flex Thursday night schedule, given the fact that um, and I, I want to bring some context to this because I haven't written about it. But Patrick Mahomes can be opposed to this. Most of the players on the Chiefs can be opposed to the idea of like, Hey man, don't tell us 15 days out that we're playing on a Thursday instead of a Sunday. Clark Hunt is smart enough to know the moment this is going to be passed, fellas, that's just what's going to happen. And we're in a business and the business is to make more money. And Amazon would like to give us more money. So I understand the players aspect. I also understand that the Chiefs, at least when I talked to Clark, this was, again, Monday night. I think they obviously tabled it, but it was a large part of Tuesday morning's discussion um, before they tabled it. But basically, my understanding talking to Clark was um, we need to do a lot of things. 
this is one of the more fascinating ones. But we know that based on our team, our stature in the league, what we've done successfully, we're going to be on primetime. So whatever the league chooses to do from a primetime standpoint, we're not necessarily going to get in the way of it, even though it might not necessarily make the product better. But financially, it does strengthen the brand and the budgetary desires of the NFL. And Clark Hunt is one of the 30 two owners slash 31 um and he knows where this is headed um it was fascinating we also talked about patrick mahomes's contract to an extent um that is in one of the stories about how they actually created cap space for the defense (laughs) not the offense um with that kind of understanding but yeah i mean uh it was really appreciative and i thought really interesting um that clark and i talked for a while it's on a number of subjects obviously we got into the player uh report card um a little bit of free agency a little bit of chris jones seth um i don't know if you've seen the quote but no i appreciate (laughs) that um do you do you want to do you want to read the quote for him josh yeah, I'm, I got to reopen that story. Hold on, I, I will. I will do that momentarily. God dang it! Why don't I read more things? Look, man, we're in the off season. It's totally fine. Like, I, I get it. It's not like you had an exclusive one on one with the owner of the Chiefs or anything that would maybe have been worth your time. But that's fine. I mean, I read it at the time. I just, you know, yeah, not all I, of us could have, you know. Look, when left to my own devices, I feel as though we don't really need to go any farther down the road. Of what happens when I'm left to my own devices? Yeah, all right. I just I thought it was crazy, Nate, that he said, quote, Rick Burkholder just kind of figures it out as he goes, unquote. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke and a lie and not true and a bit. That was a I made that up. OK, before I, you be, before you read this quote to, to I read, Seth, I read that article. but before you read it uh, and again, this was all, you know, um, writers make choices. These are the choices I've made. Um, it's. It's not every day that the kicker of the article is from the owner of the football team uh, concerned about the perhaps long-term future of superstar player. But um, when I asked him about his reaction and perspective and response, I, I kind of try to do it in a three in a three-way sort of manner. Like, let's go one, two to three. Your reaction, your perspective, your response of the NFLPA report card, which the Chiefs, uh, surprisingly, even to the union's stake and talking to a couple people within the union, uh, that they 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 finished 29th out of the 32 teams, mm-hmm. uh, even though their reputation is much higher in the league uh, before this report came out. Can I, can I just, I really want to hear all this. I, I genuinely do. I would just note one thing. The only problem with the methodology that the players union has mm-hmm. is that there's, and it, it, this is not being a homer. I'm perfectly willing to accept there are things the chiefs do that I don't like. In fact, if you want, I could name some for you. Now, actually, this is going to go a different direction. Nate's here, so I'm not going to do something stupid <laughs> like that. So I have no problem saying, oh, the chiefs handle things differently than I would like. You know what? Nope, I'm not going to do that. Holy cow. The thing okay, is, I know, I know I probably have a 90% chance of knowing uh the things that you're getting at and look oh. they're they're all legitimate um yeah. but that, that's just fine it's a business sometimes things get run a certain way 
the the methodology of the NFLPA's um, survey is one problem. It's kind of similar to like the comment section that you are much more likely to have an unhappy person fill something out. Correct. Now, now that's going to affect all teams. And they, got a, and they they did get a, a a good amount of feedback from the players. I want yes. to get those yes. numbers as well. Yes. Yep, they did. The the, the, and, the issue and, that I, I and, could and, see is, and the and the PA is doing this to try to help teams improve. So hundred percent, it's the, a good idea. So the slant, I, yeah, the slanty is where can your owner, coach, strength staff, training staff, nutrition staff, uh, facility, how where can all these things improve? I yep. think I think the thing that um, was I think the thing that jumped off the page is the level of detail in terms of the glaring issues that the players did choose to you know verbalize in, in how they voted. I think that's definitely that that's definitely I think the important part. The only problem is when you've got like direct quotes, not necessarily direct quotes, but when you're kind of semi quoting what someone said. You are one or two unhappy individuals. And I think Andy Reid kind of alluded to this a little bit when he got asked about it. Or maybe it was Clark. I can't remember. But like, especially like the Rick Bergholder stuff, right? All it takes is one really unhappy person to create a really bad quote. And that was one thing that I found interesting about the methodology is that you could have one or two players like, you know, like, I mean, according to LaShawn McCoy, there's all sorts of things that are terrible about, you know, Andy <laughs> Reid and some other people. Yeah. So if he were to be the one filling out a survey, and that's just, that's part of the risk. But that that's the only reason I'm even commenting on this. I'm not saying it's not true. They probably have these things and that they really should improve on. But I think that could be one reason why you would have such a disconnect where, like, people see that and they're like, really? 29th? So, so that, it, yeah, um, I, we we didn't even really get to dive into. It. I can't remember why, but there was a lot going on in the episode when this had just come out. So I actually do think that going through some of it now, with the benefit of Nate having talked to Clark Hunt about it, is a thing worth doing. Um, so just so, sort of an overview housekeeping thing here. So according to the NFLPA, this is a courtesy of uh, Nate Taylor and theAthletic.com. Com. Thirteen hundred of the NFL's twenty two hundred players participated in the survey. Um, I did the math at the time. I think it averaged out to like forty guys per team. Um, so a, a good sample size and also that, that they do have these rankings up against other teams. Mm-hmm. So when you look at where the chiefs rank amongst, you know, I, I'm looking away from the letter grades and more to the rankings in part because of what you're saying, Seth, that, you know, and if every, if every player hates the training room an equal amount across the league, that's, that's the NFLPA ought to know about, but it, you know, you would see some parody amongst it, but the chiefs come in 29th out of 32 across the board, everything all together tied for 12th on treatment of families, eight tied for 18th on food service slash nutrition. If you want some real comedy, go read the quotes about the Bengals and Cardinals. I think those, <laughs> are two that were, um, those were whew, boy weight room 20 tied for 22nd strength coaches tied for 17th. Uh, but Barry Rubin just retired and he was the, the main, um, I don't know, uh, feather in that cap, I think, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Uh, and then training room tied for 24th, training staff dead last 32nd. Uh, and as it was noted in the report, it was, um, I don't have the, I mean, I could scroll down. Literally, it's below the page. But um, the, 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 the critiques were almost exclusively about Rick Burkholder and not the rest of the training staff, which is generally well-liked. Uh, and then locker room, 28th. We've been there, Nate. I get it. And uh, yeah. team travel twenty eighth uh, as well. 
which you've any of those before. that jump out to you, Nate? No, no, we've all discussed it before. Uh, I wrote some details about how guys try to rest in the locker room. That is, um, you know, not as convenient as it appears to be for other teams. That's one of the best things about the owners meetings is you can ask other reporters what their own team's locker rooms are like and sort of compare uh, your own notes um, as a group. Uh, that's sort of like a third party. Obviously, we're trying to do it. You know, we're trying to do our jobs as uh, objective as we can. Um, but, yeah, I think the thing that uh, – I mean, the fact that Rick Bocholder, um was basically called out in comparison to his staff was obviously fascinating. The fact that he's been with Andy Reid the entire time Andy Reid's been a head coach, um, I thought was – it just made for the right time to ask these sort of questions. Um, you know, Andy obviously I thought made uh, an understandable answer, which is – uh, he's an old school coach. I have an old school trainer. Some of these young dudes ain't ready for that. Uh, particularly yeah. if it's their first time on a team. Um, but Rick and his staff are pretty good at this. They've gotten really good at it. You could say for the last five to six years, that does not include, um, the Justin Houston, Eric Berry time frame, which, you know, you could say on the scale is a low point. Um, I don't need to dig into that, but, it is what it is. And um, what I mean by that is surgeries have gotten a lot better than in recent times. Uh, but the training staff did, I think, a really admirable, commendable job with Eric Berry's medical situation um, once it all sort of, you know, revealed itself um, to a certain degree. So I want to be as fair as I can. Um, but again, those are specific players and specific situations and um that's not the case here. You know, uh, it helps that your quarterback is obviously a, a great leader in himself. Um, and it helps when you're winning, obviously. Uh, but yeah, these were, these were interesting times. And the last, uh, or it's interesting topic. Um, cause Clark hunt didn't give the indication that like sweeping improvements were coming next season. Uh, they're going to try to be, you know, uh, logical and thorough but that a lot of it might be tied to the stadium if it's not just the travel and the hotel stuff um clark hunt might not see a drastic need to change the training room based on the results on the field if you understand what i'm saying um but in terms of the facilities that is tied to the stadium and one of the more surprising things was clark hunt really didn't have an update on the stadium so a year ago uh, was the first time at the owners' meetings uh, where the possibility of the team building a new Arrowhead, maybe building that new Arrowhead in Kansas versus Missouri, or whether or not it's financially reasonable to, you know, give a like a harsh facelift to a fifty-year-old building um, if that's structurally sound or wise to do. Um, but yeah, Clark said there was no real update on that. He's still going through the possibilities. Um, in all honesty, we're probably two years away from them probably having to make a legitimate decision. Uh, of course, obviously FIFA is now involved with the with the World Cup in twenty six. Um, so depending on how that goes, you know, you can kind of see something in like the twenty four range uh, with the idea of like we'll know what we do by the time uh, the World Cup happens. 
But the last, one little go ahead. I was the, just the one little um, list of bullet points on the. I, I know I'm stepping back a tiny bit to the training staff in particular because again, a lot of it is kind of odd, especially when you have Mahomes and Juju and other guys specifically highlighting the training staff. Although those, Kelsey, but those are all specific members of the staff, so it doesn't necessarily you know we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but the th- this little section I just thought was the most damning thing from the entire report card, saying and you know player respondents. Could be any number of players. With that being said, player respondents express beliefs slash opinions that they feel discouraged from reporting their injuries. They do not feel they get the level of personal care that they should, and they fear retribution for speaking up for better care. Those are those are complete and utter non-starters. You can't you you cannot have that in 2023. The NFLPA knows that. The NFL knows that. Yep. But like those those scream off the page compared to again the. The locker room, I don't remember exactly who it was. I know it was some combination of defensive linemen. But one day I, I went into the locker room, you know, for to get audio or whatever. And um, I want to say it was like Derek Nottie and uh, Tershawn Wharton or something laying on the ground playing their Nintendo Switches because their options are either be on the ground or be on this stool that would be small for a school child. And you are Derek Nottie. Like, um, again, I don't know. I don't remember that it was specifically those guys or not, but it was like, oh yeah, those are just enormous people who are either going to sit on a thimble or just kind of be on the ground for now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it is something that, that I am sure a great many people, uh, listening to this show right now dealt with in, uh, in high school, perhaps it is not something you expect of an organization that, you know, fancies itself one of the greatest organizations in all of sports, they have the results to back that up now too, and uh, you know they it it's kind of cramped up here. And there there are if you want if anyone has, is interested in the report card but hasn't gone through it all, I don't think you have to work very hard to find spots to go. That would be reasonable to improve. That I bet that I bet FC Barcelona isn't dealing with right now. You know what I mean? So, or for that matter, <laughs> what you a know, great, uh, what, teams who have built what a great their stadiums. Great franchise to compare it to. Um, it's a, that's a high standard, but it's... Yeah, uh, but hey, Premier League, kids. Uh, look, uh, so the last last little detail. I, I asked him the question, or one of the first questions, uh, as, as I shift from one topic to the report, and Clark Hunt took his glasses off, and I was like, oh, we, we really in this Ooh. now. Let's... <laughs> let me... Let me sit up in my chair, and let's... Let's... Let's go through this. So um, I don't know if that was just a coincidence in the timing of our conversation, but we did sit down. Um, it was just the two of us. And yeah, he chose to take his glasses off when he was like, now look, uh, you know, surveys are good because it does reveal blind spots. I tend to agree with Clark with that. And also, you know, <laughs> And then he gave his answers. And it was just like, okay, do, do I take my glasses off, Clark? <laughs> <laughs> I kept them on, ladies and gentlemen. Now, now, Josh, the last question, I believe it was the last question. The last question I asked Clark Hunt had to deal with Chris Jones. I can't find the quote, by the way. I've been looking the entire time I haven't been talking. I can't find this quote. <laughs> it, was in, it was in the story this weekend. Uh, I, it was I, in this weekend's story. Okay. Yes, yeah. I was looking through the Clark Hunt when I was like, nah, that's not in there anymore. No, I cannot find it. Um, 
So, I can't now. I can't dunk on Seth about reading <laughs> your story anymore. That's really annoying. It's okay. Do you do you want me to read it or do you, or do you want to read it? This is well. I mean, if you've radio. got it and you wrote it, <laughs> you might as well. So this is obviously the last. I have. I'm looking at it now. You ought to read it. I got the. Uh, I got the. Hey, uh, we need to wrap it up because Clark would like to eat dinner, as would I. Oh, so <laughs> it was time. Yeah, but no one cares about whether you want to. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, Seth, in, in fairness, Nate had really been holding up Clark. He had been, Clark had been waiting on him for like two hours. And... Oh, I'm sure that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 the meeting after but... the meeting. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's nice to be on a resort in Arizona just waiting. <laughs> it's, there could be worse things, uh, which is why I couldn't be on the podcast. Uh, originally, when we were set to record it, um, that was like the first wave of like, hey, you might get Brett or you might get Clark. Just just hang back. Let's just see how these meetings go. I knew how the meetings were going to go. <laughs> <laughs> but you always have to be mindful. You have to be a chameleon sometimes. You have to be ability to uh, to, to change um, and, and adjust. Uh, and yeah, so. Oh, good God, have mercy. The last question to Clark Hunt is. Uh, Sorry, I made it to the part of the story. Of course you did. That's why that's why I, <laughs> this is this is friends helping friends out. Um the question was basically, you know, what do you think's next for Chris? Uh how likely do you think an extension is? Um what's your desire from that standpoint? You know, I'm I'm asking basically three to four questions in one. That's how these things have to go from time to time. Um depending on the time limit structure. And uh yeah, his quote was quote First of all, compliments to Chris on a tremendous year. He maybe had his best year with us. I would argue he did. Uh, back to Clark's quote. And I think really grew into a leader this past year, which is great to see him really embrace that opportunity. Certainly, when a star player is down to a year left on their contract, you will at least think about talking to him about an extension. We're not there yet. But that's something Brett and I will continue to talk about over the next three to four months. Just to re, I'm going to reemphasize this one because Seth was using the Lord's name in vain as you said the phrase, we're not there yet. And my face as the reporter needed to stay in statue mode. But in the mind, that jumped out to me as well in real time. Are you kidding? See, and this is why you're a reporter and a professional, and I'm the guy that will and literally. There was, and I had no ability to do the follow-up. His time, we, we had run through his time, which, again, was about 20 minutes. I will literally never be able to allow to interview Clark Hunt. Let me tell you. that. Let, spoiler alert. That will never happen. And the reason is I'm not professional enough to say, are you kidding or to not say that. And that's obviously not appropriate professional behavior in that environment. However, I would view it as my one chance to be the one person. Look, Clark, I don't know what they're telling you, man. I don't know what they're telling you. However valuable you think Chris Jones is, he's more valuable than that. And someone needs to say that to him. And I'm afraid no one's going to, Nate. Nate, did you pass him a note? Did you? 
Did you put a note? Hey, Jones is I, really valuable. And slide it to him on your way I, out? I shook his hand and thanked him for his time. <laughs> and in your hand was a little post-it note that said, please sign Chris Jones. Uh, I, again, and a dollar bill. Again, professional journalism <laughs> here. <laughs> I with, with, by the way, but but trying my best to bring you into the room to 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 bring as much context to this as I can mm. uh, from what you might not be able to read because, of course, uh, you know we have to keep things uh, manageable on the written word, which is why the podcast is uh, hopefully a, a a lovely benefit and bonus to people. So that that paragraph um, sparked a. A conversation. I didn't even realize this was a story that it was from. This is the way life goes sometimes. It was bu- it was a busy weekend. This conversation, the those two paragraphs sparked a conversation with me and somebody else over the weekend. I want to ask you guys a couple of really simple questions, and then to just see how this is making you feel. You can you can answer in unison or take it one at a time. The first question is: When Clark Hunt says we're not there yet in terms of talking. Sorry, let me just go ahead. You will at least think about talking to him about an extension. We're not there yet. Do you believe him? I think Seth should go first. <laughs> I don't want to believe him, but I do know that I do know that my opinion of Chris Jones as a player does not seem to have always been 100% matched by the team. And what, how, well, Seth, where do you get that from? You know, did you, did you, did you talk to Steve Spagnuolo? No, I didn't. It's just a feeling. I have long, now, they, you know what? The last time he was up for an extension, they paid him. They did. I have long feared this moment. Because it just, I don't think they really built their pass rush around Chris Jones until last year. Mm. And to me, and, and and what do you mean by that? So I'm not going to get too deep in the weeds because there's a lot of this stuff that's more schematic. That's way, way too, it's above my head. But it's just how you feel watching it. And there was a lot of, just the conversations always start with Chris Jones. Or not with Chris Jones, with Frank Clark, mm-hmm. who was being so obviously and so thoroughly outplayed by Chris Jones. That, and it's just not even close. And, and that's no disrespect to Clark. Jones was outplaying pretty much everybody. I just, I don't want to believe him, but I kind of do. Nate, please tell me I'm wrong. Um, I'm literally cringing and waiting. Um, um, oh gosh, um, it hurts so much. There have been what I would describe initial conversations between the general manager of the Chiefs, um, Brett Veach, and the representation for Chris Jones. Uh, we in the circles call them the Cats Brothers. Um, now. Those conversations, I was told, started at the combine in Indianapolis. Um, if you remember, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I was there and I reported that from the represent from Chris's representatives, 
and looking at the way the market is going and knowing that there were going to be defensive tackles that were going to get paid who were unrestricted free agents. So this is an understandable tactic from Chris's agents. Let's see how all the big fish at the position get paid. Yep. And let's squeeze the team. Because, and understandably so. I want to make it clear. I understand both sides. Uh, it's a business. Mm-hmm. They believe that Aaron Donald money is achievable. But Chris has made it very clear that he wants to stay with the Chiefs. That he wants to play his entire career with the Chiefs if he had to say. Now, he literally was, tweeted out that he wouldn't play for any other team, which I imagine his agent. It was like don't a, don't particularly advise you to do. Yeah, like, but <laughs> but the client works. You work for the client, so yep. do your job. Um, is yep. what I would say to the Cast Brothers. Go yep. out there and do your job. Um, <laughs> now we could discuss leverage. But I think Brett knows this because Brett has said it publicly. I think Chris wants to retire a chief. So everybody understands this, which means find leverage elsewhere. Um, now, I reported that Chris wants to at least be the second highest paid defensive tackle because Chris understands that from a business standpoint, being the highest paid might not be uh, to the to the advantage of the team. And that's really where the negotiations initially started. I don't really think much has changed since, or I have not been aware of anything changing drastically since. Um, I would like to remind you, Seth, that, you know, he was franchise tagged in 2020 and uh, they came to an agreement before the deadline, a.k.a. the non-Orlando Brown situation. Mm. Uh, And I would assume i think fairly understandably that chris wants a new contract by the time training camp starts so if that's an understanding and you want to see how the market plays out in the draft and in free agency i mentioned the draft first because that's kind of where we are now you kind of need to get through the draft right so i'm giving you as best i can clark's standpoint of this because we're not there yet in my opinion, means let's get through the draft. From his agent's standpoint, from Chris's agents, it really doesn't serve them until post Cinco de Mayo. (laughs) And so the negotiation window, I think, is like Cinco de Mayo to like 4th of July-ish. And if we get past 4th of July, then you might, you might, big emphasis on might, you might have some issues. Um, so that's the, that's the most thorough answer I could give you based on my interpretation of all three sides to this, the team specific agent and the player. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I want to just open this little door 
And I think for Seth, it's going to be like a Twilight Zone kind of thing. I don't like it. But this is this just kind of came together in my aforementioned uh, weekend conversation about this. These quotes from uh, Clark Hunt. Trading Chris Jones this offseason just never made any sense to me. No, nope. like, he, he just came off of this incredible year. He's entering his age 29 season. And frankly, if I was going to extend Chris Jones, I would do it this offseason because trying to wait until next year, just you're just paying him a year later and it's about to turn 30. I don't know what will happen if training camp comes around and Chris Jones is just under contract. And also something that has never fully made sense to me is the fact that as of right now, he has a $28 million cap hit that an extension could have lowered if you wanted to get on that early. And if timelines didn't work out, all right. So is it $28 million? I imagine, you can tell me if I'm wrong, Nate, but I imagine that if camp gets here and he doesn't have a new deal, um, holding out while being under contract is a financially very difficult thing to do under the new CBA. CBA makes it harder and harder. And $28 million for one year is uh, pretty good work. Now, his base salary is 19.5, whatever. If the Chiefs did just say, hey, we we love you, we want to get one more year, you know, and we'll go ahead and have you play out your contract, then we'll figure it out next offseason. If you were to, forward, to, to fast forward ahead the next offseason, Chiefs have won back-to-back Super Bowls. Chris Jones has gone from being uh, third place defensive player of the year voting to uh, to winning it next year. These are all things that I'm personally guaranteeing will happen. Hmm. We are now in the spring and summer of Chris Jones's age 30 season then approaching. And Orlando Brown doesn't need to be franchise tagged anymore. The Chiefs, whatever reporting you want to take on this, the Chiefs seemed to really like the idea of not having a year by year issue uh, at at a highly coveted position, in this case being the the tackle spots. I don't have to use my imagination very hard to get to a point where we're having this conversation a year from now and the Chiefs have franchise tagged Chris Jones for the open secret of finding a trade partner before the 2024 NFL draft. I might just be in full-on panic, concern, lunatic, worry mode based off of what all those quotes sound like, but I don't think they're paying a 30-year-old Chris Jones on an Aaron Donald deal. And if they're not going to get it done this year, that seems like how that could play out to me. How does, before, I don't, I know how it's going to make you feel, Seth. That was the question I was going to ask, and I don't even need to. <laughs> does that pass the sniff test for you, Nate, as like yes. one of the, yes, uh, you agreed yes. too fast. I wish you were, yes. I was hoping you were going to say, no, it's not going to happen. Now, look, I, I I mean, these things change, and um, I'm reminded all the time that things are fluid, um, and stuff happens that aren't, necessarily foreseen you know weeks or months previously but no i think i think that all makes sense um you know uh last time we went through this i (laughs) uh the last time we went through this i i basically guessed the contract um based on everyone i talked to and the understanding the situation and trying to get off the tag because you don't want to play on the tag if you don't have to um but yeah, I remember I remember guessing like, yeah, four 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 years, eighty million. It eventually became four eighty-five with like five of it of centos wise, some of which Chris actually uh accomplished and obtained. So um I'm not saying I'm gonna guess what's gonna happen 
you know, in the next few months. But if things progress a certain way, maybe, you know, maybe I'll be uh, willing to, 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 to do the same thing. But yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, uh, it's really valuable. Uh, but I hope people appreciate us talking about this because, you know, Clark Hunt doesn't talk every day. Um, there's a reason for that. He likes his football staff and those people's expertise to be front and center more so than, than him. Um, but he is the one that signs the checks. He is the ones that gives the authorization. He's the one that understands, um, when the team is going to do something, um, you know, the communication between him, Andy and Brett have been pretty strong. Uh, really, you could say for the past six, seven years, I think there was a, in the early years, it was Clark understanding Andy and Andy, you know, understanding Clark, even though they had a general good idea of one another from obviously talking to people around the league. Um, and there's been a, there's been an exchange of football philosophies uh, that I think has served the team particularly well and how it's structured. Uh, the fact that Clark was willing to acknowledge to me that like, you're not worried about this off season. It's about next off season and the off season after that. And he was like, yeah. And then he gave, you know, a quote about um, how do we help the cap for 2024 and 2025? That is very much in consideration for this year's cap. So if the team doesn't acquire DeAndre Hopkins, I can at least assure you that the team has talked at length through its process to decide they're probably not going to do that. You Seth, if we lost you to a, de- a pit of depression, because if not, I can make that segue into wide receivers and we can have some fun again. But I'm, I'm which, honestly kind of worried about you. Which you guys honestly hit the nail on the head. It was a lovely transition from like the possibilities to the actuality. And then, of course, I wrote it literally that day of like, hey, guys, it's Odell Beckham or bust. And then Odell <laughs> Beckham showed up on Tuesday. And look, guys, <laughs> there were some people who were like, is he meeting with the Chiefs? And I'm like. I don't want to say no. I'm also like, you know, he did talk to some reporters. Shout out to Jordan Rodrigue, who covered him when he was with the Rams. Um, look, I saw him in the flesh. It was cool. He was hanging out, enjoying himself like a free agent should. Uh, and of course, it's like, well, he might meet with the Chiefs, but it's not like it's not high on his priority. He wants to meet with other teams. He's already had a ton of communication with the Chiefs. Before he flew, well, I guess he lives in Arizona in the offseason, before he came to the uh, resort to see what these billionaires talking about. <laughs> All right. So, like, it's not like he had to, like, I mean, it's, it's fine if, like, it, the timing worked out. But it was like he's talked to the Chiefs plenty. The Chiefs were out his workout. He knows the interest that the Chiefs have. The Chiefs know the interest that he has. It's just a matter of, like, what is really the best opportunity and compensation for Odell Beckham Jr.'s sake. And that's for him to find out. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is a part of this all thing. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins is kind of a part of all this thing because obviously if wherever DeAndre Hopkins goes might be one less opportunity for him. Does he want to get in front of that? Does he want to get behind it? Who knows? Like, who is who? Who he want to catch the passes from? Which coach likes him? How's he going to be in the certain systems? Am I the number two guy? Am I the number two? Might be the number three, depending on matchups and specific type stuff, which I'll do in the draft. Which the Chiefs are like, Eah. we should probably talk about drafted receivers because that is the least 
of a secret I have ever seen. <laughs> like, everybody knows. The Chiefs, you could... Now, listen, Agent, you could use the Chiefs as, like, quote-unquote, leverage in free agency, but the other teams know? The other teams know the Chiefs want to draft a receiver. Hell, the Chiefs are calling teams like, what are you thinking about where the receivers are in this... In this I just want to get a feel for what you're thinking. Seth, tell us about Quentin Johnson. Too depressed. This is this is the <laughs> oh, oh god. All right, this on. is why I checked. This is why I did a check in no. first. All right, hold on. Talk about your feelings real quick. We're gonna re- we can recalibrate. We can do some deep breathing, and then we're gonna work on no, this. No, if, if they don't sign Chris Jones to an extension this off season, I don't see it happening next off season. This is because, like, right now, you know, Jones is uh, about to turn 29, if I recall, right? Mm-hmm. And yep, so, yep. Yeah, I think you June, know, right now, yeah. you'd sign him to a deal that then, you know, even with a mega deal for a defensive tackle, after three years, you're going to have an out, right? An out with a defensive tackle at 32 is okay. Maybe a little more than you want, but not really. You know what I mean? Yep. 33, suddenly, I mean, it really, and, and, that would make sense why Jones would want to get paid this year. His his birthday is in July, by the way. Yeah. Sorry. And so it, it just the Chiefs have been pretty clear about not giving out big contracts to guys on the other side of on 30 or above. Travis Kelsey's an exception. Now, how much of you know is Chris Jones an exception? One can argue that he should be, but you know, like I said, in just terms of the feel of it, I just, I don't know. I, I do think that if they don't get it done this year, it, it seems a lot less likely. And I mean, obviously they wouldn't just let him walk in free agency like they did with Orlando Brown Jr. Which, by the way, we never really talked about that a ton. Did the team even offer him anything this year? Uh, they offered him. Uh, let me make sure I get this right real quick. Um as I as I as I wrote, um, they didn't want to do the whole tag and let's talk all the way up to July fifteenth. Didn't want to do that uh, with the idea that he could play on the tag again, which of course is an option if you put the franchise tag on the right. player. Uh, Got to use that franchise tag on Chris Jones next offseason. So it got to like late February, and they're like, "Where are you? Where are we? Really? Now." You're saying, Nate, who said really? Really, that's up for interpretation. <laughs> um, but there was a really, and there was a really. And that was and that. Then, and that. Yeah, thank you, Seth. And then they said, and then they called him. Um, I believe the conversation in very detail was they called him and they said, uh, we're not gonna put the pl- we're not gonna put the tag on you. Um, I think this is Clark Hunt involved as well. Do I want to pay a player a one year salary for nineteen million, and that is all nineteen or twenty, whatever it was, nineteen point nine? And am I getting the same production? And he could be a free agent again. Yeah. yeah. So from a from a financial budgeting standpoint, it was made aware to Orlando and his agent that that was too high, um, and that hey, you'll be a you'll be a first time free agent in a week. And I'm not sure they talked again since. 
I this is just a conspiracy theory I have. I have literally nothing to back me up on this. But I don't think I, I know that it was reported by one of our colleagues at the Athletic that Brown called Cincinnati, not the other way around. That feels intentional to me. Now, for one thing, it's calling a team that needed a tackle badly. Yes, yes, yes. But like, if the Chiefs had signed Orlando Brown Jr. to the exact deal that the Bengals signed him to, I'd be like, oh, that's cool. And I just, that's so, one of the most unique so how, and interesting situations I've ever seen. So who who you, who you think said really first? I would be willing to bet the Chiefs said really first and then Brown's camp said really first. Or really second. Second. Yeah. Well, it's up to it's up for interpretation. I'm not going to give yeah. that. Right <laughs> but I, I, I just I understand why the Chiefs didn't even re up. My assumption would be the offer they made last year, because that was probably based on an assumption that he would improve in the offense. And, and I'm sorry that we're going down this road, but it's just interesting because I've never seen something like that happen before, where a guy took a pretty, I mean, a really bargain deal for an above average left tackle. After I think the Chiefs said. Really? And then Orlando Brown side said, really? And then the Chiefs side said, really? And that was the that was the end of it. That's why I have a going three yeah. rounds. I could see that. And that's how you end up in, a, in one of the weirdest contracts I've seen. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. Then the, no, then I just, now I'm looking at my crystal ball. Then Orlando Brown side said, really, really? <laughs> and then the Chiefs said, really? And then it yeah. was over. That's That was it. It's actually five <laughs> So the only reason I know we're, we're already running short on time somehow without me talking about Quentin Johnston, who I really like, by the way, in case we don't get to circle back here. Jones, I think, is a little bit talk. different because I I don't think there's a gap in how Jones views himself. And, and, and again, this is reading into things. I don't know Orlando Brown. I don't know the players involved. I just know what's happened and what the most obvious conclusion that points me to. Right. So it's conjecture. If Chris Jones says, really, to an offer, he's going to get what he's looking for from another team. Like, like if, if Chris Jones were to be, you know, a free agent this year, some team would pay him that 30 mil a year. Or whatever it is, right? The second most defensive tackle money. Whereas Orlando Brown hit free agency and it did not go... Well, it's, it's, it's the wire line, right? This applies to so many things. You want it to be one way. Mm. But it's the other way. That is that is such a powerful line. I use that for so many things now. You quote the wire so much for someone who's never seen the wire. You know what, Josh? You want it to be one way. <laughs> <laughs> See? It works. You, it's like... Do you want to talk about Quentin yes. Johnston? Because that's the way I want it to be. I Whoa. want the rest of this show to be the way where you talk about wide receivers yes. and not about Orlando Brown and Chris Jones Let's more. Of one former chief and one future Quentin former chief. Quentin Johnston can play. I thought that one was going to knock you off your train and of thought again because I yeah, called Chris I, Jones yeah, a, a future former chief. Sorry. So Good. I don't want it to happen either. Uh, the Know Your Chiefs draft... Shut up, Seth. Let me sell your newsletter. <laughs> the Know Your Chiefs draft crush series has begun on the Chief of the North newsletter, mnchiefsfan.substack.com. For some dumb reason, this first one's unlocked for everybody. So if you haven't found the change in your couch cushions to throw in the general northern direction towards the state of Minnesota, you can still read this one for free, but I don't think you should be allowed to because this thing costs like 
two nickels per story. I haven't done the math. That's probably undercutting it. Regardless, this one's unlocked for everybody. mnchiefsfan.substack.com. Um, Seth, you can decide how much you want to get into the actual methodology of how you grade receivers, or you can just kind of cut to to where you were and weren't impressed by Quinton Johnston. And and uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but where you think it would be okay for him to become a chief. Absolutely. So one of the things that I try to do when I, when I rate players in the draft, I try to talk about where I'd generally be okay with them being drafted. With the caveat, you know, the draft is weird. Sometimes stuff happens. Like, what if no defensive ends, including Will Anderson, get drafted till 20? Which, that'll never happen, people. But that changes the analysis. But with Johnston, if the Chiefs drafted him in the first round at 31, I'd cheer. If they traded up a little bit to get him, I'd say, I'm I'm okay with that. Now, I wouldn't be, like, pounding the table for it the way I was with Chris Olave and Drake London last year. Both of whom, had they traded up to get, especially Olave, I'd have been like, yes! Like, this is the way! But he can play. He is, he's a, he's a rare combination of size and speed and agility. And that's where, like, if people want to say, well, he's like another MVS deep threat type thing. He doesn't have quite as much deep speed as MVS, but he's a lot twitchier. And he is the, he's the type of dude that you don't expect him to be as twitchy as he is. Now, is he elite twitchy? No. But he's good. And when you combine that with elite size, and you combine that with good speed, and you combine that with uh, comfort, with physicality at the line of scrimmage, I'm real comfortable getting releases and swatting hands away as he tries to get releases at the line. Um, those are the things that I look for. Like, what, what, what translates to the next level, in my opinion? And this is not an exact science. But a few things that you can look at is... How comfortable is he dealing with press coverage? And not like how successful is he against it because they're playing against, you know, future salesmen a lot of the time, right? But <laughs> how comfortable is he with it? Can he, I don't know, get hit at the stem of his route and not lose speed? Can he, you know, just things like that. Those are the things that you look for. And Quentin Johnson has a lot of it. If he didn't have some questions, if he was a, a jump ball receiver, and he is not, by the way, big dude. Occasionally, we'll make contested catches. Not how he makes his living at all, because he'll let guys run through him for those contested catches. I think if he made those, I think he'd be a top 15 pick, absolutely guaranteed. But he has occasional uh, concentration drops, and he is not a he is not a contested catch guy. But he can track the ball in the air as a deep threat. And if you've been listening to Times Ours for any amount of time, you know <laughs> you have to be able to do that to be a legitimate consistent deep threat and not just another fast dude out there. I really liked his tape overall. Um, he can do, he's, he's also really impressive with the ball in his hands. Makes the first guy miss a lot because he's, he's yep. strong, but he's also quick, which means when you're that, you're that poor cornerback coming in and you are, you know, outweighed by 15, 20 pounds. It's, it's a little dicier than it normally is. Because you can't, you got to commit because he's strong. But if you commit too hard, that dude's quick. And so I really liked his tape. It was a really good start to the Know Your Draft Crush series. I tend to stick with guys that are, you know, first, second, maybe third rounders. Because after that, it just gets, it's just too much. Even more projection. But I'm really happy with him as a guy to get started with. Especially for a guy that's kind of controversial a little bit. Like, he's he's considered one of the best. I think there's like, there's like a top four group, right? Is, is, is the general vibe I'm getting, because I don't know anything about the draft. 
I love coming into it with clear eyes. My understanding is there's like these, there's four guys that are considered first rounders and he's one of them, but he's kind of the most mm-hmm. controversial of those four. Hmm. Yeah. Nate, I have no idea if you have any of your own Quentin Johnston thoughts yet, or if those will come with time. I'm much more in the latter camp. I'm happy to admit, which is a good reason that you should be uh, on, the, uh, yeah. on the newsletter and see what Seth says. But you, you also laid out pretty clearly that like, the world knows the Chiefs are looking at receivers, so anything yes. specific to Johnston or just like kind of what that plays into the Chiefs' hand right now? It is fascinating that it did get out that he is uh, visiting the Chiefs as yes. one of their pre-draft visits. So um, we know that both parties are interested in this potential partnership. Um, and then I think, I think for the Chiefs specific, when it comes to the receiving uh, room, is can they take from what they gather from, you know, Sky Moore for a full rookie season from Kadarius Tony from like a truncated version of a rookie season? Cause it was his first year within the system. Uh, can they see what worked and what didn't work with McCole Hartman? Because McCole Hartman was not the most polished receiver when he came out. Um, can you take all that information and can it serve you better for this time around if if there's a player that you a want to go get, and yes, we're 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 in that range of a you might want to go get somebody, or uh, if it's a second round sort of sweet spot that they feel like um, they can sort of maneuver to to find that player. But um, but no, Johnson Johnson should have everybody excited, and and I'm not here to to temper the enthusiasm. That being said, I'm not here to temper the enthusiasm of anyone who's enjoyed the last hour of this beautiful edition of Times Ours. Um, I I know we at one point talked that Seth uh, Seth has most of a film review done on Northwestern defensive lineman Adetamawa Adabare. We talked about getting his name correct, and I feel pretty good about it, but this is going to give you a whole extra week to work on it, Seth. Don't even feel like you've got to say it now, um, where you can uh, expect that review coming up on the newsletter. And then, uh, Nate, what's the next step on The Athletic and your work leading up to the draft? Well, I think Dane Brugler is going to have the beast out next week. I I think that's where we are right now. Um, So we'll, we'll keep you updated. That is the, I mean, that is the resource you should always sort of lean on. um, It's unbelievable in the run up and after uh, the conclusion of the last pick of the NFL draft, Um, you know, OTAs will be later this month. So there'll be stuff on that. I'm working on some draft features. I'm not going to give anything away, but I do find them fascinating, and hopefully uh, I can uh, sort of execute them uh, the way that I think um, our listeners, our readers will will enjoy. Uh, Seth, anything you need to say before Nate gets us out of here? I will learn how to pronounce that dude's name by next week. Mark my words. And if I don't, I'm just going to call him Double A. I think Double A is the way to go. Mm-hmm. I okay. also don't know that I trust your ability to learn easy to pronounce <laughs> names. So I'm not sure if double eight. Well, that's fine. We can cross that bridge next week. Nate, Nate, get us out of here. Uh, there are two things from the owners meetings that I just want to share along. They're not the usual vignettes, uh, but they are two things that I do find interesting. Um, so one is that there's a guy named Stephen C. Barber. You can look him up. Um, he is known for monuments, structures, historical statues. 
And Steven told me that he had a conversation with Clark Hunt because back in the day, he did the Dan Marino statue in front of the Miami Dolphins Stadium. And he would like to do a statue on a two-time Super Bowl MVP for Arrowhead Stadium. Nice. I don't know where that's going to go, but they had a conversation about the possibility of a Another statue next to Lamar Hunt. And then my second one, which I find to be incredibly fascinating. And I did not get to ask him because there were more important things to ask Clark Hunt in the 20 minutes that I had. But one thing that I did find out is that Gracie Hunt, the daughter of Clark Hunt, was in some of the meetings. And as I said earlier, in this here episode, Clark Hunt used to go to the owners' meetings, maybe around the same time-ish, with Lamar to understand the business of the NFL. I don't know where the conclusion of this will go, but it is interesting for this to be the family business, for the timing to line up that Clark's fine. He he's going to run the team for many years, probably you know multiple decades. Um, but I do think him learning from his father and now him starting to do similar things to his father, uh, similar things that his father did, I think is ultimately fascinating. And Gracie appears to be um, really really interested in this. So um, to have some conversations about how this is obviously the family's team it is the family business um and and who knows obviously what the future holds i don't but i do think it's that fascinating that that crazy hunt um was in the room with other billionaires figuring out what we gonna do about this here football business over the next you know several years um and i believe that was uh i believe that was a first um between the two from what from my understanding 